Hello, my name is Laura Mache. Hi, I'm Rachel Sala. And I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Laura, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? The thing that I do is I do writing and editing for video games. I guess a couple things to plug. Not so long ago, my husband and I released a video game called Tall Bagel 2 Avocado Hardtack, which is a sequel to our game Tall Bagel that we made for 7-Day FPS last year. Uh, both of these games are awkward family dinner simulators. So if you're isolated from your family during the pandemic and you really want to cringe, you can play one of these games. Uh, Tall Bagel 2 continues the family drama of the first game. Uh, and then also uh, the company that I work for, Riot, uh, the department that I work for, Riot Forge, also released a video game recently called uh, Ruined King and another one called Hextech Mayhem. So all three of these games are fun and cool and you should play them. I hear people like the writing in both of those games. I, I'm glad that they do because I have been editing them for two years, which has been which has been fun. And Rachel, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug? Yes, to both. Um I help run an indie dev co-working space in Los Angeles called Glitch City, and I also do 2D artwork and animation for games. And my plug is I'd like to say everyone should uh, play Wild Honesty, which is a game I've been working on off and on with uh, the rest of the team. And the creative lead, Bright Handy, comes out on mobile and Apple Store on the 9th. And it's a party game about getting to know people better. You ask each other questions varying from like what's your favorite food to what's your dearest hope and ambition anyway check it out very cool and that so that game should definitely be out by the time people hear this yes absolutely are we ready to start on some topics yes, yes. i love topics laura your topic is <sighs> you are walking down the street one day when your hand transforms into a stapler for the next 60 minutes your hand is a stapler from the wrist up the next day, at the same time, your hand transforms into a stack of post-it notes. Soon you realize that at noon every day, your hand transforms into one of the objects in your desk drawer. <sighs> you discover that anything that goes into your desk drawer has an even chance of replacing your hand for one hour at a noon every day. Your desk drawer has a volume of 4 cubic feet and is 12 inches wide, 12 inches long, and 4 inches deep. What do you put in your desk drawer? If there is nothing in your desk drawer, your hand will vanish for one hour. Yes. This was a question that I put in your question vault. You call it the topic bucket. Yeah, the topic bucket several years ago. So it's been percolating in there. It's getting better every year. Yeah. I just want to say that probably, so like I personally wouldn't put a gun in that drawer because I don't want my hand to unpredictably turn into a gun. And I know a lot of people, when I ask them this question, they say, I'll put a gun in there. And then sometimes my <laughs> hand will be a gun. Or they say, I'll only put a gun in there. So my hand will always be a gun. I think all of these are really bad decisions. It replaces your hand. So what if you need to scratch your butt, right? Or what if you are scratching your butt when your hand turns into the gun, right? So I yeah. think the gun is too dangerous. I think if you're going to put any kind of weapon in there, it's got to be something that can be innocuous if your hand turns into it and you don't want it, right? So it's got to yeah, be- Yeah, it's got to be one that's safe to scratch your butt with. Yeah, it's got to be like one of those extensible blackjacks or something, you know, like like something that if you don't want to use it, you can make it innocuous and like pull a glove over it and then nobody can see it. Yeah, like a hawk. Yeah. Wait, like who? Like a hawk. You could put a hood on it and then it thinks it's nighttime. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> one wise thing to do would be, let's say that you're going to rob a bank or something, right? 
you could put the gear in the drawer that you would use to rob the bank, and then you can go in the bank, and then the gear will teleport in with you, and you can use it to rob the bank. So maybe like a skeleton key, right? Or like a drill to drill in through the bank vault. But usually those are a little too big to fit in a in the little drawer I have described. So I would I would probably say, man, I don't know. For my day-to-day life, as it is in the pandemic now, uh, I'd mostly put gag items in that drawer because I'm not robbing a bank and I'm not getting into a fight or anything. So I might put um, some amiibos in there. Uh, it might be funny to put like a PS5 controller in there. Man, <laughs> when I asked this question, I wasn't locked inside all the time. Right. Uh, Rachel, do you have any thoughts? I mean, I guess my first thought is, so like it's like noon, right? And that's lunchtime. Yeah. And... I don't know about y'all, sometimes I'm like a real lazy fucker, and I'm like, I have to feed myself. That's a huge burden. Like, sometimes I'm like extremely excited. I'm like, oh boy, it's lunchtime. And sometimes it's like, oh no. Oh well, gotta eat to keep this body going. So, like, the first thought when you said this was either like a thermos of coffee or like a sandwich. And then you like eat your own hand. Yeah, because it goes back <laughs> yeah. to hand afterwards, right? And yeah. it's like, yeah. you just get like lunch there. And it's just like, oh, this is easy. It's like gnaw on your own hand. And you're just like, fuck yeah, this is a little weird. Like, I'm something gonna have like sensation in it, you know? Yeah. You're doing like really targeted loaves and fishes here. You're putting like mm-hmm. a sandwich in your drawer. And the sandwich still exists, but you're also using it to replace yeah. your hand. And then you're eating your hand. Yeah, because I'm not thinking of like, I want to do a violent crime. I'm just thinking of like my boring, like basic ass life where I'm just like a guy who. Spends a lot of time, like, at a computer doing, like, drawing cartoon animals or whatever, and I'm, like, at the desk, and it's, I can't really type or, like, draw that well. Also, I don't, I don't know which hand this would be that gets transformed. I'm going to say for the sake of argument, it's my right hand, which is my dominant hand, so it's, like, I can't work for an hour, so I have to, like, take a break, and if it was, like, a really nice sandwich, then, you know, I could, like, eat the sandwich, kind of, like, relax, and be, like, watch a, a Netflix show or, like, go for a walk while I eat my sandwich, and I'm just, just vibing. Yeah. You know, taking it easy. An enforced lunchtime. Yeah, you know, something that gives you a break. Like, the idea of having, like, a gun hand is pretty funny, and I would try that at least once and be like, well, how do I fire it? Or, like, a sword, and it becomes, like, a sword hand. Yeah. I remember seeing a really creepy anime in college that was, like, I think it was called, like, Handmade May or something like that, but this guy's, like, right hand became, like, a very small woman. What? Yeah, it was creepy. It was like this like dorky guy in his right hand like became a woman. Like from like the waist up. I watched like one episode, I'm like, this is too fucking creepy, I'm not watching this. This is like weird fetish fetish stuff. But point is it's like maybe to like be like a real weirdo, be like put like a Barbie in there, or, like a stuffed animal, and be like Well, this is some like real body horror stuff going on, you know. Uh, don't like it. If the idea is that it becomes a part of your body and you can feel the sensations that the uh, sandwich would feel. I would like to know what it is like to be a sandwich and be eaten. That's a good so, question. I feel like the sandwich would want to be eaten because that's like their purpose. But it, 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 that's not an intrinsic purpose. That is a purpose placed on the sandwich by the human that created it. Fair. So you're saying it might be horrifying to be a sandwich and get eaten? Or it might be amazing, as you were suggesting. It might be like... For the fulfillment of your destiny. Yeah. Yeah, I might, like, I might take, like, one bite and be like, oh, this is the worst thing I've ever had in my life, and now I'm just stuck with, like, this weird bitten sandwich hand for an and hour. And then you can't eat any more sandwiches, because mm. you you know what torture you're inflicting on them. Yeah. Well, I was also thinking a thermos of coffee. And I think- the sensation of being drunk, it would be completely different than the sensation of being eaten. 
Well, I guess part of it's like, is the sensation coming from the coffee or the thermos? Because I think the thermos would enjoy it. Be like, oh, oh interesting. Yeah, It'd be drunk. like taking taking a big piss. Yeah, but it's coffee. Right into so your own mouth. So I feel mouth. like the thermos would be like, oh yeah, it's just good shit. And like, I I could totally use like a 12 p.m. cup of coffee every single day. I don't know about y'all. Yeah, it's like that's when it kind of start to drag a little bit. I'm like, oh yeah, I've been awake. I'm doing some work. Could use a little pick me up. So questions like this always make me want to figure out how to like how do I do item duping or how do I like break the laws of thermodynamics. Mm-hmm. It's got to be eating is the easiest way. Rachel's hit on it. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> because I'm, I'm not, I think if you put like a bowl of coins in there and then you poured the coins into like a piggy bank. You know, I think those coins would still disappear. Like, I, I didn't mm. stipulate this in my question, but... Oh, and then if you ate the sandwich, suddenly you'd just be hungry again. Yeah, but you'd be able to expend that energy. It's not like you wouldn't have expended that energy, right? I, mm-hmm. I like the idea that, like, you, okay, you you digest the sandwich really fast, it becomes a part of your body, then the part of your body that the sandwich became then vanishes. Ooh. Mm. So you'd almost have to have a liquid then if you were to consume anything, because that would enter your body pretty quickly. And it's like, the principal benefit of coffee is it, it smells and tastes good, and it gives you caffeine. It gives you that little jolt. So it's like, after you absorb that, it's like, it's done its job. It doesn't take a full hour. I guess the question is, if there's like a higher logic or a higher power dictating the, what is debited from you at the end of this hour, there's lots of different ways that they could choose to settle accounts here, you know? So if you put, yeah. for example, you know, extremely sugary, like glucose water in the thermos and you drink it as mm-hmm. fast as possible. So it gets into your blood tr- bloodstream as fast as possible and it will get into your bloodstream like w- well within 15 minutes, right? So you can then expend that energy immediately. Will they then make the work that you did with that energy, like, undone? Will they just make yeah. you that much more tired? It's unclear. So I yeah, think, yeah. depending on who you're tricking here, who is the higher logic, you could probably get away with breaking the laws of thermodynamics. But you'd have to do a lot of really complicated stuff so that, like, the chain of actions you're taking after you digest the hand glucose is, like, too complicated to unwind. If you put, like, a bowl of water in the drawer and then you, like, climb a mountain... And then you pour that water down like a series of um, sluices. I was thinking of like, what do you call the kinds of dams that generate electricity? Hydroelectric dam. Hydro hydroponic something like that. Hydroelectric dam. Hydroelectric dams. Thank you. Yes. Normally, the work you do getting the water up the mountain would counteract the value you'd get out of the electricity going down. But you didn't carry that bowl of water up the mountain. You you just teleported up, right? And so I think. Then you if you immediately pour it down the river. I think the ge- the electricity generated by that water would have to be subtracted from the system in order for, to to as you said settle accounts. What if it, all the stuff continued to exist afterwards? Like if you ate a sandwich, you were you you were full, and if you ate the sandwich, your hand returns. Then we need to keep this drawer away <laughs> from research facilities and governments because <laughs> no good can come of this. Yeah, true that. I want to know what happens. Like, what happens if you open the drawer and put things in it while your hand is one of these? Can you put your hand in the drawer? And then what happens then? Good question. I think probably, let's say you have to be able to close the drawer, which means it would cut your hand off, right? Right. Yeah. Oh, good. The drawer just locks for that hour. Yeah. Well, Also, like, speaking of what you're saying, like, does the energy of this reverse? It's like, using the gun hand example, if you, like, shot a guy... And he died, 
and then your hand went back, would he come back to life? Unclear to me. Yeah, what if you put his body in the drawer? <laughs> well, then your hand, <laughs> your hand would become his, his body. His body, yeah. Yeah, and then you'd know whether it was alive or not, because you'd be like, ah, oh, yes, I feel the sensation of either a live person or dead. Hmm. Mm. What if you killed somebody and then put their body in the drawer, but they had to be very tiny? So we're talking like you kill them with some JoJo's Bizarre Adventure shit, and they die in a weird way. And then it becomes your hand, and then you eat your hand. Then then you would know what it feels like to be cannibalized. <laughs> I don't know the sensation. I'd want to know, personally. I already chew on, like, my fingernails and the skin around my fingernails, so I know what it's like to be cannibalized. Ha 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 ha. Oh no. So nutritious. <laughs> <laughs> Is it a closed system? <laughs> yeah, imperfect uh, conversion of matter to energy in that system, unfortunately. Yeah, well, could be worse, I guess. There's some stuff you should never put in the drawer. You should never put probably anything dead in the drawer. You should never put a gun in the drawer. You should never put, like, a can of paint thinner or something in the drawer. Would the paint thinner become, like, in, go in your blood? Yeah, probably. You know, it's hard to okay. know. Okay. You should probably never put like gold coins or anything in that drawer imagine if your hand just disappeared and suddenly at the end of your wrist it was just a gold coin that would not be good uh same thing for like a credit card you wouldn't be able to use it people would be too weirded out by it huh. yeah you could have to you could go to an atm though uh yeah but it, it really depends on how the card is oriented on your wrist right because some atms <laughs> they, they completely swallow the card you know like the ones that i use they swallow my card and then they spit it out at me when when i'm done or whatever Right, right. Yeah, you want like an ATM card on a string. <laughs> yeah, and you want to hope that the string is what attaches to your wrist. You, What you do is you write in the drawer, you write in Sharpie, hand goes here, and then you draw an arrow, <laughs> and then whatever end you want to be attached to your hand, you put at the end of the arrow. Yes. That When noon comes around, you have a tattoo of a arrow saying hand goes here. Ha. Huh. Would it be a permanent tattoo or just like... Well, Sharpie is permanent. You can't, you can't get rid of that message in the, in the drawer. It's true. Stuck with it forever. Are we ready for another topic? Probably, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rachel, your topic is, what's the best way to hang out with friends long distance? Oh, you can tell when I put that one in the topic bucket. Yeah. Oof. That was a long one. Oh, boy. Yeah, I mean, thinking about that now, it's, you know, we've managed to keep in touch with most people, I would say. Lots of, uh... Long distance video games, or just like scheduling like video chats, or just like sending texts to each other, or like memes. Yeah, I don't know. It was weird at the beginning of the pandemic being like, oh, I can't see anyone I'm used to seeing. And I felt like for a while people were like real gung ho about like video calls, but got a little burned out, especially since everyone was on Zoom all day for work, you know? Right, yeah. It, it, I mean, I, I find this to be true even like when I had an office job. And I went into the office every day. I had much less appetite for socializing in general than I do when I work from home. And I feel like if you're in video meetings for, you know, four hours a day or whatever, that's going to be a similar similar situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're getting a lot of like low quality social interaction, but you're still spending that energy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know there's definitely like a different vibe from being like contacting one person and one-on-one -on -one being like let's do a video chat for a while versus like let's have a big group one and the big group ones are kind of like weird as people keep like interrupting each other and it gets a little like it's a little wild at certain points mm -hmm. but you know yeah 
During the pandemic, I had the easiest time socializing while playing online games or while doing like tabletop or something. Yeah, same. Just having a little bit of structure to it. Yeah, they are highly structured. And then additionally, nobody's watching you. You you are fully mediating which of your interactions are perceived by the other person, right? Uh. They perceive your game actions, but they don't perceive you yawning or standing up to go get a snack or something. So you don't have to constantly be hyper aware of whether your actions are being understood or coming across correctly or anything like that. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I made this podcast basically because I wanted to have an excuse to hang out with friends. Right. So it was just a coincidence that a few months later, uh, that became the only way I'd ever talk to anybody, not counting my wife and child. Oh, dear. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I feel like online gaming is very successful because um, since it's a planned activity, you have a, you have a shared goal to talk about as opposed to like, so, how have you been? Cooked anything recently? Seen some cool mold on your dishes? I don't know. But it's like you have a plan activity to talk about and a goal to work towards together. And if you have like a little bit of downtime, you can ask those questions. But also it's like periods of like silence are okay. Or like, hey, I'm crafting. I just, just got to focus a second. We're like, yeah. where's that that thing I was looking for? I'm like, oh, it's in that chest over there or whatever. Like I know for a few months of the pandemic, Glitch City was all playing Valheim together. That was really fun. Yeah, that was really good. Good time. It was just like, I haven't seen y'all in a year and I miss you. But hey, let's go be Vikings and fight a uh, like a large poisonous skull together or something. Valheim is really good. Is that one of those Minecrafty kind of deals? Yep. It's uh, yeah. like Viking survival construction crafting game. It's really good. That sounds, mm-hmm. sounds like it's probably pretty fun. We also yeah. played a lot of Minecraft at Glitch City. And Minecraft is now updated, so now I want to play it again. Uh, but we... What are they adding to Minecraft these days? They changed the way that uh, underground areas and cliffs and other types of terrain are generated. And there's new stuff that can spawn there now, I think. And apparently they're geographically more interesting or something. I haven't checked it out. Huh. Yeah, I haven't checked it out yet either. But I think I saw you posting about maybe wanting to start the Glitch City one again, which could be cool, you know? It'd be fun to do that again. Yeah, I think Minecraft is is really just better than most people remember or realize. It's such a good game. Very, very open-ended, which made it great for hanging out during the pandemic, because everybody could be doing a completely different task. Yeah, I haven't played it in, in many years, so I'm, I'm curious where, where it's gone. If, if the idea is that, like, they've thrown, like, Microsoft resources at improving the world generation, that sounds incredible, actually. It's uh, still a pretty simple game, which is, I think, to its benefit, because that makes it very moddable. Um, yeah. But I, I do think that, uh, that this little trickle of content they've been providing for years and years is uh, successful and fun and good. But yeah, like the, the, the Topic Lords format, I find, is you don't actually get to catch up with your friends when you talk to them. Uh, you're because you're talking about these other topics. You don't ask the like, "How's your how's your life?" questions. Mm-hmm. But it does also mean that like you're constantly engaged for an hour, and there aren't awkward lulls where you're trying to figure out what to talk about, which is nice because you have all the topics that there are no awkward lulls. Yes, you 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 come up with a list of topics, and this is something that like you you I think people could just 
You don't you don't have to make a podcast. In fact, don't 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 make another Topic Lords competitor. That would be I, I would have to sue you. <laughs> uh, actually, no. If someone made like Topic Lords Junior <laughs> or something like that, I would I would just let it go. That would be cool. I'm fine with that. <laughs> what I'm actually saying is like you don't have to put your life online to get value out of this idea. You can just put structure to your conversations with your friends, and maybe you'll like that better. Maybe Rachel's game Wild Honesty can help. Yeah, that is supposed to be like kind of a structured party game sort of thing. It supports up to five people on um, on mobile right now. So Yeah, the way you described that, it actually does kind of sound like uh, Topic Lords the video game. Yeah, well, it's less like wacky topics, though mm-hmm. that could be fun to have some wacky topics. It's supposed to be like, there's degrees of questions. Like when you first start to play, you say like, how well you know those people? So you could say, like, oh, we're total strangers, we're casual acquaintance, or we're friends, close friends, or, like, we've known each other for a long time and we're very close friends. It's like there's a degree of how close. So there's the light questions of, like, you know, what's a food you really like? Or, you know, maybe oh, question, like, yeah. how did you meet your best friend? Like, the hardcore, like, personal ones, like, what are your some hopes and dreams you hope to accomplish in the next couple of years? I, I can't actually think of any, like, deep hardcore questions that aren't, like, kind of horribly depressing so i'm avoiding that <laughs> don't want to bum everybody out but there are there's some good ones in there that are like you know deeper but not heavy and i'm just failing to think of any right now so <laughs> uh, are we ready for another topic yeah sounds good so my topic is my childhood impressions of zelda one were apparently formed during my 20s so i had played legend of zelda i'm gonna guess i was like eight when i played that game something like that and i believe i finished it but I have basically no memory of playing it as a child. And what I have a memory of is playing it in emulation in Nesticle in, like, 1998. So did you, like, overwrite your childhood impressions with your adult impressions? I think that's what happened, yes. Because, like, I think of Zelda 1, even though, like, I had, in emulation, having already known the game pretty well. But I, when I played it, I was very much struck by like how little the game tells you by like this is a game that just drops you into it and you have to just figure out what you're even doing here you could even miss it miss, miss the sword if you don't you know if you don't uh go into the cave at the beginning you could well, be wandering around the world completely defenseless but much later i was looking at the manual for zelda one and the manual goes into like incredible detail. It's, it's many, it's like, it's like 60 pages long. And it goes into detail about like the backstory. And is there's like a walkthrough for the first two dungeons of the game. And I know I read the manual because one, the memory that I do have of Zelda was my stepdad photocopying it for me before we had the game, making fo- photocopies of the manual for me to read. And so I knew all this stuff, all the stuff that was in the manual going into the game as a kid and I wasn't just like dropping in there helpless and having to figure it out. And so like my sense of that that, that was the case is is complete fabrication. Yeah, I think most of the memories that we have are probably complete fabrications. Um I think that's yeah, that that could be the general topic. Yeah, I agree. The I don't know, the science of memory is pretty sure on this point now that like victims of crimes very frequently misidentify perpetrators you know like that's the person who hit me is actually like 
a very unreliable thing for somebody to say in general, just because of the way our memories work. <laughs> right. Um, even <laughs> though we, we tend to think that things like victim identification of a perpetrator is very reliable, it's absolutely not. A lot of our memories uh, get rewritten over time or get warped or adjusted, and it's very easy to suggest uh, changes yeah. to someone's memories. My understanding is that like every time you recall a memory, you are like it's like you're taking it off the shelf and possibly changing it before you put it back on the shelf. Like your future memory is actually of the time you most recently recalled the memory. Yes. It's not at all possible to remember something perfectly for decades and decades. Yeah, it all gets soft with time. I have, you know, memories from my childhood that seem very reliable. I remember places and people and things happening. Uh, there's definitely memories I have that are more my recitation of the memory now that I've memorized over the years, you know, than the actual thing itself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've had a lot of like weird encounters that I've turned into stories and told my friends and they want to hear them, you know, they want to hear me tell it to someone. So I tell it again and then I tell it too many times and I barely remember it, you know? Yeah. And I know that I'm telling it the same way because... I have like emails where I wrote down what happened to me, you know, a decade ago. And I have actually gone back to see them sometimes. And I am still telling the memory in the same way. I just don't remember the details of it at all. You know, like, like I, I don't have that. I lived through this kind of memory experience where, where I can remember the sensations and the details that I, that I could in the past, uh, which is, I think it would be very easy to like have a story that you like telling. And at some point just forget that, it didn't actually happen to you. That it actually happened to a friend of yours. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine that happening. Yeah, I can see that. That's why you need to keep journals. Yeah. I wonder if that's why people used to journal out more in, like, ye old days. Now I'm like, I don't think many people do anymore. But stuff like social media, where you, like, post pictures of things that happened. It's, like, kind of similar, I guess. Where you can look back, you're like, oh, yeah, it's time we did karaoke. We all sang, like, a Disney song really badly. And it was really funny because we were really bad. And I don't know. Having records of your life. Yeah, we need to become Samuel Pepys again. <laughs> that guy. Samuel who? He's a famous diarist from England a very long time ago. Yeah, I think it was like 17th century. Yeah, he wrote all this incredibly raunchy shit into <laughs> his diaries. He did a lot of messed up stuff and he just straight up like wrote about it. He's like, ah, yes, I creeped upon mine mine housemaid or whatever so reading it is is very alarming sometimes but other times it's very interesting <laughs> and he kept these diaries for like most of his adult life and they're it's very weird to read them and to read about i don't know people from the 1600s saying yeah i went over to my buddy's house and we played guitar for hours you know it, it's <laughs> it's very very weird and 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 kind of cool to read some of these memories from so long ago, even though he seems to have been a jackass. Yeah, it's always interesting to get a human perspective on, like, you, you, so much of your understanding of what life was like is based on uh, the thing, the things that, like, the people of the time chose that were important to preserve, and also the things Victorians thought were important, right. We 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 have acquired a lot of impressions about the past from Victorians, and they were pretty freaky dudes themselves. So a lot of it is not <laughs> accurate, right? And so it's 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 super interesting to see like here's just one person's. It's just pure perspective. It's just one person's completely unfiltered, except through the through the filter of not being able to tell what he's talking about because it's 17th century English. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, he spells everything super weird. They did. Yeah, back before spelling was standardized. That's actually a good point. That's probably why some of the stuff's kind of spelled wild. It's like you spell it how it sounds. It's like, well, you know, it makes kind of sense, you know? Yeah. I feel like it's very easy to go too far in the other direction. I we were just joking about like how you should keep a journal. But I think probably once you start remembering too much about your life, you're going to wish you could forget it. Yeah, that happens to me frequently. I'm cursed to cringe about things I said when I was an actual child. You know, like it's. Oh yeah, I mean yeah. I, that's me. That's me too. But imagine if that extended throughout your whole life. Yeah. If you could remember everything as well as you remember things when you were a child. Well, aren't there some people who actually have like what is it called, like endemic memories or something, where they do remember like everything? See, I think even that fades over time. They might remember a lot of things, but who's to say they remember those things? Much more accurately than we do, right? Like, mm -hmm. I don't know. Oh, that's true. It might be like, uh, you know, the the AI, the enhanced AI that like can zoom in on an image and make up detail. It might be just they just have very good imaginations. I don't actually know anything about this. It might be possible that they, in fact, do have incredible, uh, unalterable, specific memories. But I haven't heard anything in like a decade that makes me trust human memory more, only less. <laughs> Yeah. Given given the fallibility of human memory, the other nice thing about keeping a journal is that you can lie to yourself. You could just make up some shit that didn't actually happen or like change events to make you sound cooler. And then when you're reading the, the, the diaries 10 years from now, you'll be like, wow, I was a badass. <laughs> so you, you want to like gaslight yourself? Oh, yeah, but, but uh, benevolently gaslight yourself. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, I'm Googling benevolent gaslighting. Uh-oh. <laughs> I feel like that has to be a thing. That sounds like the danger zone to me. Yeah, probably. Did you find anything? Uh, Yes, but it's a Twitter thread that I would need to pay attention to to understand. Ah. Are we ready for another topic? Sure. Yeah, sounds good to me. Uh, so for this topic, we're going to be reading and discussing... The Wallace Stevens poem, A Rabbit as King of the Ghosts. Last time we did a Wallace Stevens poem, I promised the listeners and myself that next time we would only do poems that somebody likes, but Laura likes this poem, so we're good. First of all, <laughs> if I'd been around last time, I like the Emperor of Ice Cream, uh, so... I, if well, you like, we can discuss that one too. Well, we've got I, let's, time. Let's just speak broadly about Walt Stevens. Well, for, let's let's read the poem first. Okay. Let's read the poem and then just yeah. So this is a rabbit as king of the ghosts. The difficulty to think at the end of the day when the shapeless shadow covers the sun and nothing is left except light on your fur. There was the cat slopping its milk all day. Fat cat, red tongue, green mind, white milk, and August the most peaceful month. To be in the grass in the peacefulest time without that monument of cat, the cat forgotten in the moon, and to feel that the light is a rabbit light in which everything is meant for you and nothing need be explained, then there is nothing to think of. It comes of itself, and east rushes west and west rushes down, no matter. The grass is full, and full of yourself. The trees are around are for you. The whole of the wilderness of night is for you, a self that touches all edges. You become a self that fills the four corners of night. The red cat hides away in the fur light, and there you are, humped high, humped up. You are humped higher and higher, black as stone. You sit with your head like a carving in space, and the little green cat is a bug in the grass. That's the poem. That's it. That's a rabbit as king of the ghosts. That's it. I, I spent the, basically the whole poem trying to figure out what green mind meant. 
let's talk a little bit about Wallace Stevens, right? This guy's day job was be an insurance executive in Hartford, Connecticut, near where I grew <laughs> up. He, he's interesting in that he had this day job that was very much about being like a capitalist executive. And then every day he would like log off, right? He would walk home and he would write like, not just poetry that sort of like resists logic, but like poetry that is like not about logic and not about sense making things beyond that right and 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 that that's kind of what i appreciate about him because his his poems frequently reject sense and logic and they they sort of give you a feeling and a mood without approaching or dealing with those things right and that's part of why i like emperor of ice cream so much it's so unsettling and strange and it it has such a, a powerful impact on people that they have a hard time describing which i really like and I think A Rabbit is King of the Ghosts is very good because it has a similar impact on people, but it's a little bit more accessible emotionally. So I'd love to hear what you folks think of it. I need a quick second to reread it before I can uh, say more. I did very much enjoy you reading it to me, but I feel like sometimes I get kind of like caught up in like the rhythm of it and don't really like ingest yeah, well, the words. I, I, I kind of feel like that's the intent. Yes. You're not supposed to puzzle this up and figure out what the green mind means you know yeah 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 so it may be that i'm just approaching this from the wrong angle where i'm trying to like presumably it's trying to convey either a scene or an emotion or something like that to me and i am approaching it as like trying to understand the language yeah but it may be that the way you're supposed to approach it is just kind of let the syllables wash over you yes Mm -hmm. and it, it communicates some very specific emotions and ideas but they are sort of generally associated with one another. It's not like there's a story in here with a cause and an effect in it, right? It has moods in it that are sort of about like the the inversion of, of the power relationships you would expect in nature, right? This is not about a cat hunting down a rabbit and making the rabbit scared. This is about a rabbit becoming so big and powerful in the nighttime that, that it intimidates and destroys the cat. Mm-hmm. This is about... The feeling of wouldn't it be fun and free to be an animal, but not to be like a powerful animal, to be like a little rabbit that is hidden. And because no one can see you, you're you're powerful, you know, emotions like that, where where he sort of takes things that you expect about nature and that you expect about these images and he sort of turns them upside down and makes you think, yeah, yeah. But like, you don't really know exactly what he's saying to you. Right. Right. So on on poetryfoundation.org. On uh, the Emperor of Ice Cream, they have hyperlinks on words like concupiscent and wench, in case you don't know, don't know what wench means, it defines it for you. Uh, mm-hmm. man, losers who don't know what wench means. <laughs> right. On the other hand, I needed to look up concupiscent. Um, <laughs> but in this poem, they're like, no, what? you know what, you're on your own, just, just fucking deal. This has normal language in it. Nothing in here is, is more difficult than a middle schooler could understand. Yeah, no, there there aren't very many big words here. But they would also do things like on the phrase the only emperor is the emperor of ice cream, they had a, a King Lear quote that was that it was allegedly a reference to. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that is the case, right? Like this guy and his community did shit like that, you know. Uh, he's he's a modernist poet right and so a lot of the people in his field know and care a lot about other works of art and like to reference them and stuff like that 
but you kind of don't need to understand that in order to enjoy most of his stuff. Most most of his stuff is sort of about like uh, li- living fully in imagination and images from the world and and ideas and stuff like that and letting them sort of explode in your imagination, right? I hadn't really considered that this guy might have peers, but like I'm imagining now being the fly on the wall when this guy's talking shit in the bar with his his poet friends listening for to that conversation for half an hour and then like all of this is just suddenly going to make sense. I used to know a lot more about this guy. Like I took a poetry class in in college that I was really into. I, I took an American poetry class that focused on mostly the 20th century. My final for that class was I was given 100 poems by poets I had studied, but I had never seen that poem before, and I had to identify the author of each poem. Whoa. Holy shit. I got a 100% on that test. Uh, I was, Holy shit. I was very much into American poetry at that time. And I could identify the sort of school or, or, or movement of poetry that they were in and sort of narrow down who must have written it, you know, and stuff like that. Or I could tell exactly who wrote it from their style. So I used to be a huge mega poetry nerd, but I got, I got really, really, really into this for like two terms. And then I spiraled out of it. And the thing that made me spiral out of it was actually writing about video games. Uh, so I, I fully, evicted most of this information from my brain in order to make room for video game related stuff boy is there a lot of video game related stuff yes i uh, started running a website with my friend kent and i took a digital game studies class and i started reading like 50 games blogs in my rss reader every day Uh, this was in like 2009 was that the website about the basketball in the Traffic Cone? No, that's a different website that I ran, basketballsandtrafficcones.com. This was a different thing. But yeah, I uh, I used to care a lot about this. Can't remember it anymore. Can't tell you too much about Wallace Stevens. I do remember that he was a very solitary guy, um, but he was definitely part part of this like mo- modernist category of poets. Um, and I like him a lot more than I like a lot of those other guys. I like him because he just writes weird imagery about rabbits and and declares things like the only emperor is the emperor of ice cream and i'm like yeah you tell him you tell him dude yeah any anybody who thinks they're emperor of anything shut the fuck up (laughs) emperor norton of berkeley nope not unless he's emperor of ice cream all right wallace stevens wrote a bunch of poems called notes toward a supreme fiction that i have never read uh, it sounds exhausting. I don't plan on reading it, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it's uh, it's very weird. Uh, he's that kind of guy, anyway. You can draw whatever conclusions you want about him with the three points of data you have now. This poem also refers to it as a, it is a red cat. Mm-hmm. A red cat and a little green cat. Are these the same cat? Sure. Maybe it's being sort of destroyed kaleidoscopically by this giant rabbit. Who knows? Maybe the phrase green mind was just there to like let me know that Oh, this isn't supposed to make sense. I don't know. A lot, a lot of poetry does stuff like that, where they'll describe something in a way that is descriptive that means to say something about it, but without intending that the reader take it literally. Yeah. So I don't, I don't believe at any point that he expected that y- you would be sitting here trying to figure out what green things the cat was thinking about. <laughs> well, it, what gets me about it is that it's, it's in a list of four items, and the other three are literal. Yes. That's because we're... We're sliding into chaotic imagery, right? But it's not at the end. It's in the middle of the list. <laughs> well, it doesn't need to be at the end. Like, look, look, look at the first couple of these paragraphs, right? 
the the first three are like kind of normal. Uh, and then at the end of the first three, we then get without that monument of cat, the cat forgotten in the moon. At the at the end of this third stanza, right? It's the imagery is beginning to get more and more more weird. Like like look at the amount of weirdness and the amount of stuff that you find like non literal in this poem. Yeah, there's definitely a gradient. Stanza is very descriptive, but it's yeah, it's it's a huge gradient, and I think it's very deliberate that there's only one thing that's like really non-literal in the second stanza, which is green mind, right? And then by the last one, we're saying that the cat is a little green cat, and that it's a bug, and that it's it's being perceived by this gigantic rabbit as tall as outer space. So it's beginning to slide you in towards uh, seeing the world in the way that he wants you to see it. Yeah, that's interesting. It's an interesting choice that they he chose a rabbit as opposed to like another animal. Like I don't know, like it's a cosmic rabbit as opposed to say a cosmic wolf because rabbits are prey animals and in general aren't aggressive. So it's not like a power fantasy of being like huge and strong. It's something small just kind of wants to do its own thing. Yeah, like I, I think that's kind of like the one of the points of the poem is that it's it's yeah. this sort of an inversion of power or what you would expect. The, the cat is little and pathetic, and the the rabbit is huge and powerful. And that's just, like, a cool thing to think of, I guess. Being huge and powerful and being left alone because you're huge and powerful, but not using it to ill gain or something. I appreciate your perspective on this. And I now I kind of wish you were on the in the discussion for the uh, Emperor of Ice Cream one. I think it would have made it a lot more interesting, given that we all basically thought the same thing. <laughs> I, I think that you might have had like a, a normal reaction to it. But to enjoy that poem, maybe you want to enjoy feeling unsettled, you know? Yeah, yeah. Or or even just know what to expect, you know? Like, I, I do enjoy feeling unsettled, but that's not what I was looking for out of that poem. And if I had been, I probably would have enjoyed it more. Yeah, I think um, a lot of this old poetry stuff was written to be read in a certain way and it was written to be enjoyed in a certain way by a certain kind of assumed audience member you know who basically doesn't exist anymore outside of a, oh interesting outside of like an academic context right like a lot of these people were writing in an environment where poetry was published and read and consumed differently by groups of people with values and ideas who don't exist anymore basically right mm-hmm. and so sometimes when i read some of this like 20th century modernist poetry stuff. I'm, I'm in it to be like, yeah, what kind of weird shit was coming out of these guys' brains? Ha ha! You know, like I'm, I'm not there to like have a profound idea put into my brain or anything like that. You know, like I'm, I'm just along for the ride. And uh, some people back then were probably definitely reading it that way too, you know, which is great. But uh, a lot of these folks also seem to have been really clued into sort of like academic communities and poetry journals and stuff like that, which I do not read anymore or don't have anything to do with, you know? So who knows? It's, uh, it's, it's valid to read something like Emperor of Ice Cream and be like, damn, this is weird, you know, but <laughs> my recommendation is to enjoy being weirded out and maybe to not really expect that the poem will give you anything or do anything for you or let you in in any way when you're reading some of these older things. The the thing that's frustrating about that for a segment like this is that usually it leaves you with nothing to say about it. Well, un- unless you want to talk about why you feel the way you feel and like which words are making you creeped out by it. Like if, if you want, oh, you yeah. could go back to Emperor of Ice Cream and you could tell me what creeps you out about it. <laughs> I would, but we should probably get on to the next topic. Yeah, cool. It was a, it was a good reading of it. And I agree. It's good to engage with 
weird things more often. Rachel, your topic is, if there was one food you could delete from Earth forever, what would it be? I guess for me, um, I really, really hate ranch dressing. I really hate ranch dressing. I feel like frequently it's given as a topping for things when it's like, you know, the food is kind of like flavorless and bad. So they're like, here, to cover it, we'll just give you this like vinegary mayonnaise. It's so popular though, sometimes I wish I liked it, but it's like, I've been to places like Bad Pizza Joints that are like, oh, here, here's your dipping ranch. You can dip your pizza into the ranch. I'm like, does <laughs> pizza need dipping ranch? Is this a thing people do? Uh, I think the idea is that you dip the crust. The crust in the ranch? I yeah. think I've done that before. It is tasty. I wish I liked ranch. Yeah, I think you might have to value ranch in order to enjoy it. It's true. How do you feel about garlic butter sauce? Um, if it's real garlic butter sauce, I'm okay with it. But every time I like the, the fake stuff, you can get with like Papa John's. It's just kind of greasy. Mm-hmm. Tastes just kind of fake. It just kind of lingers on your like face and like like lips and hands. You're just like, mm, I got that fake garlic grease zone going on right here. And it's probably like cheaper to make than actual like garlic butter. But the fact it's like liquid at room temperature kind of weirds me out personally. Mm-hmm. Just had a lot of bad experiences with ranch dressing, I guess. Like just. Lots of things expected to be dipped in it or just salads absolutely saturated in it. I remember had once um, being at like a family reunion and someone made like pasta salad with it and people were like, you have to try it. They put like a glop on it and I'm like, oh, I got this whole thing to be polite. And it was horrible. Would you say that ranch dressing makes your life worse? In a very, very small and significant way. Yeah. As an adult, I don't have to encounter it all that often because I make my own food choices. So it's not like right. I'm forced to eat like salad with ranch dressing in elementary school well it's like you can't really make your own food choices right right and it's like if someone offers it as like a dipping sauce i'll be like oh no thank you i'm, I'm fine that was that was what, what i was gonna say was that like i most of the time i'm not affected at all by foods i don't like but just hypothetically speaking if this counts what if i were to delete all alcoholic beverages well i'm saying as somebody who very much enjoys alcoholic beverages it would probably change a lot of things in human history. Like, I've read theories that... Um, oh, are we talking about, like, deleted going forwards and backwards? Oh, I mean, either way. If you said that like, right now, like, alcohol would disappear, it'd be like... I think a lot of people would be sad. They're like, but I like to party. Probably weed consumption would go up, but... Yeah. Probably, like, a little, a little safer to drive, maybe? I don't <laughs> know if drunk driving is, like, a super problem these days with, like, Lyft and everything, but... The benefit that I would personally see is that society would have to figure out a way to socialize that didn't involve going to bars and getting drunk, and then I might enjoy it. I feel like there'd be, like, alternate drugs. Like, I don't know, it'd be, like, cocaine bars or something. Oh my god, yeah, you're probably right. That sounds like a thousand times worse in my mind, but I really have no idea. Like, there's already, like, like, weed bars, sort of, where you can smoke a little bit or whatever. I feel like it'd be, it's kind of similar. It's definitely stinkier and it definitely affects people around you a little bit more, but similar. Certain appealing parts of like not feel like you have to go to a bar to socialize. Like I've definitely been to conventions where everyone's like, oh, we're going to a loud bar afterwards to hang out. And you're like, uh, it's like, I, I would like to get a beer, but I don't want to be like screaming in people's ears all night. So, you know, being like, what, what'd you say? Yeah, that's actually, that's a good point. That's a, that's a separate issue that the room is loud. Yeah. It's motivated by slightly different things than just the drinking. Yeah, yeah. Like if like I'm a fan of going to bars, but it's like I'm like an old grandpa now where I'm like, I want to be able to sit down and have a conversation. 
Yeah. You know, and it's it's nice being like, yeah, but go with like a handful of friends. We're gonna go hang out at a bar, and we'll go get drinks and like. It's quiet and, like, chill. There's no, like, screaming or dancing or anything. You just kind of, like, hang out and vibe, you know? Just vibing. Yeah, just, you know, have a couple beverages. It's not, like, a, a, a loud production, you know? But I understand why people like that, but it's, like, uh, not for me. I've been to loud, noisy bars or in clubs where it's, like, you're try- even trying to, like, order a drink. is like, a 35-minute production, and you're just, like, standing there being like, well, this isn't that fun. <laughs> <laughs> I just remembered that there was another topic. I'm trying to remember how close it was to this one where I s- said that I would delete grains from the world. Why would you do that? Well, <laughs> well, it was, uh, uh, I, I misspoke, but I meant to say um, like cereal, like uh, cold cereal. Oh, so you, oh, like you, would, you would delete Cheerios, but you wouldn't delete wheat barley right spelt but because i said grains then like i i already said it it's done i see and then it's too late to go back on it now now you have to commit you have to justify yourself right well we'd probably still be a hunter gatherer society which from what i've read it's like yeah you died younger but you worked a lot less yeah weird (laughs) huh yeah and dying was probably really uncomfortable because you had to keep working while you were sick, and it was probably really scary because you thought that you were being cursed or some shit. So I don't, I don't yeah, I, I don't see a lot of benefits to going to a hunter gatherer outlook. Mostly because I would have died three or four times already in my life. But yeah, I would have died in childhood as well. So love them antibiotics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What if you could uh, be a hunter gatherer but keep your insulin? I would still need the uh, medical technology infrastructure to make the devices with which I deliver insulin into my body. So we would still need metal and sterilized metal and plastic and sterilized plastic. Yeah. Ongoing, like, just a huge amount of infrastructure involved. Yeah. Indoor plumbing, heating, and, like, light. Pretty big fan overall. Yeah. Good inventions. I liked toilets until, like, the other day I was sitting on the toilet and my back just spasmed for no apparent reason. Oh no! And then, like, suddenly, I my 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 I threw my back out by sitting in a relaxed position. Uh, it was very very baffling. And now I don't trust toilets anymore. That's very troublesome. I hope your back feels better. It's just about. I would say I'm at like like ninety percent now. So that's it's definitely mostly better. That's good. I'm glad. I hope it continues to feel better and. You no longer uh, feel get, get hurt on the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> um, are we ready for? Do you want to do one more topic? Sure. Yeah. Laura, your topic is what should be a flavor of soda that isn't. So I grew up near a soda bottling plant that did um, gag sodas. They did, they did like a turkey dinner flavored soda for the Jones. Was it a Jones soda plant? It was contracted by Jones, so it's called Avery's, and they did Whoa. they did a lot of like. Novelty soda runs for various brands, and Jones was one of them. Huh. So I've always wondered: is there soda flavor innovation that doesn't involve being gross? You know, <laughs> I've always thought it might be interesting to have soda which is meant to taste like an ice cube. Do you know how ice <laughs> cubes have a weird flavor? Yeah, it tastes like your freezer. Yes, but even good tasting ice cubes taste unusual. You know, like pebble ice. Yeah, that's a good shit. Yeah, pebble ice is incredible. And I'm sure this is not really a flavor. I'm sure it's an illusion, but it has a flavor, right? So I'd love 
soda that tastes like an ice cube. Wow. That sounds like a challenge. Yeah. A challenge to any soda designers in the audience. I also wonder if it's possible to make good soda that tastes like sweet onion flavor. Yeah, that sounds incredible. I, I would try that. It would probably have to taste a little honey-y, so maybe honey would be a good soda flavor as well. Ooh. Right. When I was visiting Portland, I tried a soda that was, I think it was called Sipping Vinegar. Oh, I've had that. Yeah. It was carbonated. It was actually, I actually really enjoyed it. So it was like a shrub or something? Uh, no, it was it was vinegar. It's similar yeah, to like I think a shrub right? is like a, it's like a flavored drinking vinegar. Oh, I don't know what that is then. Okay. Then, then perhaps. Okay. They're pretty good. I'm a fan. Yeah, I'm thinking of flavors I'd like to see. Like, I'm one of those people who really likes, like, floral flavors, but usually those are pretty mild. They're like, they translate well to sodas. But honey sounds great. I've always kind of wished there was, like, more savory beverages that you could drink casually. Oh, yeah. Like, a like sometimes you don't want something sweet. Like, something... Chilled broth? Yeah. I've definitely done, like, like especially if I'm not feeling well, I'll be like, okay, it's time for a cup of hot broth. It's, like, a comforting thing where it's, like, poor, like, chicken soup, but not really. But I wish it was more socially acceptable. Kind of like the, um... The drinking vinegar, right? Yeah. That, I would call that savory. That's definitely like more of the sour category. But people are always like, oh, yeah, you know, you're drinking something. It's got to be sweet. I would definitely try a carbonated broth. I would try yeah. that too, yeah. I want some like carbonated savory stuff. Like either like a broth or something simple like, you know, like chicken or beef stock, that sort of thing. The flavor that I find myself wanting out of um, sodas these days is actually just regular soda flavor but milder. Like – if I'm at a at a soda fountain in a restaurant and they have um just soda water, I will often get like half or a third of a regular soda and fill the rest up with soda water because I don't need that much sweet in my life. Just a little hint of cola syrup is good for me. Yeah. So oh, are you a um seltzer water fan? Yeah, we will uh in this household we will occasionally partake of a of a Soleil or a Lacroix or however you pronounce those words. Yeah, no, I'm I'm a big fan personally because sometimes you just don't want like regular water, but soda is like even if it's diet soda is like really sweet. It's intense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I much prefer like a, a just sugar, but less of it the over uh, artificial sweeteners. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the I don't know if you've ever a Spindrift soda, but they're like. It's basically LaCroix, but it has like a little bit of fruit juice in it. I've had that, mm-hmm. yeah. So it yeah. actually is like, there's like a tiny bit of like, you know, like orange or whatever. I like those because it's like, they don't, they have a little more of a flavor than like LaCroix or whatever, but it's not like, Fanta! <laughs> Here you go, or- orange up the nose. Orange everywhere. The fakest orange <laughs> you ever did taste. Just the, just the smell of orange is really what it is. Fanta? I haven't had a Fanta in so long, I can't even really tell you what it's like drinking one. When I was a kid, I always had, um... Diet soda and diet orange soda is incredible. I'd totally try some. It's really good. Diet sunkissed. That's my favorite shit. That sounds pretty good, actually. I'd be into that. I definitely have a couple of, I think, unflavored um, seltzer waters in the fridge from like an event we had, like a party a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering now, can I mix some of that with stock and see what that <laughs> tastes like? Like this wow. might be a total disaster, and I'll hate it immediately. But I'm also very curious. <laughs> If there, if it's actually actually unflavored, I think it might work. If there's like lime in there, I bet that would not work. Yeah, there's like two I think that are unflavored. It's like the, it's like Lacroix Clean or something like that. I don't remember what it's called. They have a, it's like the blue cans. They don't have a flavor. They're just seltzer mm-hmm. water with no orange or grapefruit or whatever. 
that's all the time we have for Topic Lords. Oh, we're out of topic. Topic out. Uh, Laura, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at at sign L-M-I-C-H-E-T, L-M-I-C-H-E-T, and uh, you can also check out my itch.io page, because that's where we have put Tall Bagel 2. The tallest bagel. Yeah. Maybe next year I'll make an even taller, even taller one. Would you say so? You, it's a it's a awkward dinner simulator. Is it mostly like dialogue trees? So these games are are interesting. The the thing about awkward dinners is that you are disempowered during them. You're usually at them because you have to be, and you're surrounded by people who are uh, challenging you socially in ways that you find miserable. Right. So you can't actually leave, and you can't say anything in these games. Instead, you have a different player verb. So in the first hmm. Tall Bagel game, you have a long amphibian frog tongue, and you can steal and eat other people's food. And <laughs> in Tall Bagel Two, uh, it takes place after the pan- it, it takes place after the first year of the pandemic. So it takes place in like May 2021. And uh, in this one, you your character worked out a lot during the pandemic and now has psychic powers. And you can use telekinesis to move things around, and you can also use your third eye to see people's bones. So that's the power that you have. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, and now I need to play these games. I like them a lot. They're relatable. Rachel has done maybe the most completionist uh, run of Tall Bagel 2. You levitated the most objects, I think, out of anyone I've seen. Yep. <laughs> have you Have you had any speed runs? I don't think the game is speed runnable. Yeah. The game, so these games, the, the conversation takes place on a timer. And you can, mm. you can slow it down, but I don't think you can speed it up unless there's some flaw in the game I haven't discovered yet. They're not very speed tech friendly. To keep that in mind for the next one, you got to build up that speedrun community. <laughs> yeah, Brendan and I are thinking about what we would do for the next Tall Bagel installment. And we're also thinking of how we can use this tech for other games, so stay tuned, I guess. There's a Hat DLC tab on the um, speedruns.com page for Frog Fractions, but... So far, nobody's done any runs that don't just use the skip to the next scene cheat code immediately on every scene, which is not the most interesting run, I have to say, having watched it. You give them the tools, they'll use them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rachel, did I already ask you if you want to be found on the internet? I would love to be found on the internet. You can find me on Twitter at Rachel underscore Sala. Thanks so much for being on Topic Lords. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good coming back. Yeah, thanks for having us. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. This episode was edited by Esper Quinn, who can also edit your episode if you contact them on Twitter. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com, and you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode!